Grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with as we study. If you like technology, you can download the Victory Harvest Church app. Just search for it. Our Wi-Fi is really good. You can download it right now. If you want to fill in the blank version uh, of the notes, you can grab that. Uh, All the verses and things we'll study today will be in there for you. I like filling the blank, so we'll keep doing it uh, if you enjoy that. If you like to take old school notes, go ahead and jot those down as well. Because we are in a series called Summer at Victory. And it is not really a series. It's a lot of one-offs we do during the summer where we just kind of set the record straight on some things. Honestly, it's almost like a tune-up, I would say, uh, if you want a little bit of analogy or terminology for you. Kind of set some things right. Uh, Maybe see some things that I've noticed not only in our church lives, uh, but maybe in our groups or maybe in our leadership or some of the things that we've been doing. Uh, Some of the conversations I have with several of you, we do that during Summer at Victory. And I'm so excited this year because you're going to hear from some different voices uh, than mine. Come on, somebody. Everybody say amen. So you're going to hear from those throughout the summer. I'm really, I am so incredibly excited uh, about this series, about some of the voices you'll hear from, about how God is leading us and raising up leaders in our church uh, and those who have spoken from experience, those who have spoken from their own uh, life experience, those who are speaking in their own study of God's word. And so it's going to be an incredible time together as we progress in the series. But I want to kind of kick it off a little bit uh, this morning and kind of get us all on the same page about what it is that we're actually here for. Why, why is it we exist? Why is it that God has us on the planet? What is it that should be on our hearts, should be at the forefront, even as we enjoy LSU, even as we enjoy our families, all these things that we do? What is the reason that we're here? Because when you agree, it's a little easy uh, to drift. If you just come of that, and I'm not talking about like drifting when you're racing a car or something. We started racing go-karts the last few weeks. It's been an incredible time. And I bought my son a go-kart book about how to kart for like Formula One, that kind of thing, right? And so he's reading that. We get back out in the parking lot, start that kart up. And the first chance he gets, he comes screaming around the corner. And he's like, the book taught me how to drift. And I was like, stop this thing right now. We're going to take books away. You're not reading for the rest of your life, all right? That's what we just... Not that kind of drifting. Wouldn't you agree that it is easy to kind of, kind of veer off course a little bit in our Christian life? It's easy to, to not, uh, I would just say, and I'm not, I'm not scolding, all right? If I preach, I preach to myself more than any of you people. You guys just get to listen. But isn't it easy throughout our life to sometimes drift just a little bit? Take our eyes off of what the main thing should actually be. Because there's a danger in life to lure us into being self-focused. Uh, to being so, and honestly, our culture encourages it. I don't know if you've been in the business world or in academia or whatever it is. There is an encouragement to kind of have your own brand, your own thing, to seek your own interests, because ain't nobody else going to do it for you. But if we're honest with ourselves, it is an incredibly toxic trait when it tries to creep into our spirituality. Because we've let it, right? We have that, that earthly perspective because it helped us in business and it helped us in our studies and it helped us get ahead in the different things that we did. And we've let it creep into not only the church, but into our spiritual lives. And it is incredibly toxic when we bring an earthly perspective to spiritual things. It's incredibly toxic. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in the verse in Philippians where Paul is writing and he's saying, we become earthly focused. We become enemies of the cross Because our focus is on earth. But he goes on to say, after that, he says, your focus is on earth. You live as enemies of the cross of Christ. But watch this. He goes on to say, their destiny, destruction, glory is their shame. Mind is set on earthly things. But he says, not you. He's writing to the church in Philippi. He's saying, it shouldn't be you. We're supposed to have this eternal perspective. Citizenship in heaven. 
And I think sometimes we gloss over the verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But I think sometimes, myself included, we like to ignore it when it doesn't meet our own self-interests. Come on, somebody. It's going to be good today, all right? And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This earthly perspective we're trying to bring into spiritual things is honestly choking out our spiritual lives. Jesus taught the same perspective in Matthew chapter 6, famous verse, you know it. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. Don't take an earthly view and try to apply it to spiritual things. Don't try to heap up things because that's what earth tells you you need to do to feel safe. And try to apply it to your spirit. Don't put stock in earth. Instead, be kingdom minded. Send treasures ahead to eternity. Leverage the things you have on earth to store up treasure in heaven. See, we love to leverage the things we have on earth. We like that part of it. But we leverage them to store up things on earth. Because that makes sense to us. That's, that's very easily digestible. But to leverage what we have on earth, leverage everything, influence, finance, everything we've got. To store up treasure in heaven, to impact eternity, to have an eternal focus. I'm going to teach you how to do that this morning, all right? By the end of the service, I have done my job. You will know, and what you choose to do with it is on you. Come on, somebody. Because if we're going to send treasure ahead of us, we have to take hold of this idea that Jesus is teaching and make sure that earth is not really our ending place or our focus. So what would that look like? That's the question we're asking today. What would that look like in our lives? And I want to talk about it for just a few minutes, because there is a moment in the Gospels, where Jesus is leading his kind of entourage towards Jerusalem. And so he's kind of out in front, and he's been doing miracles, and everybody's amazed, and they love it all, and the crowds are following him, they're heading to Jerusalem, and he's got his 12 disciples as part of the crowd. And so he gets kind of them to the side, so he kind of breaks it apart, gets his 12 to the side, before they get to Jerusalem, and he begins to tell them what's going to happen when he gets there. He's like, okay guys, like listen to me, I'm getting ready to go, it's in Mark chapter 10, he's getting ready to go, I'm going to be beaten and broken. I'm going to be crucified. He talks about his betrayal. He talks about torture. He talks about his resurrection. He talks about all these things. And he's given all the details of what's going to happen in his life. And the thing fascinating to me is immediately after he tells them, like it's just him and the 12, immediately after he's like, look, I'm going to be tortured, betrayed, executed, all these things. As soon as I'm going to go give my life, two of the disciples do What we are talking about, they take an earthly perspective and immediately make it about themselves. He's like, guys, I am going to go and give my life for the sins of humanity and the savior of the world. And they're like, let's make this thing about this is a good moment for it to be all about me. Anybody know somebody like that? Like you just like you have a conversation where you are like pouring your heart out and they just like wait for you to finish so they can make it about nobody knows anybody like that. If you don't know anybody like that. You might be that person. Come on, somebody. All right. James and John, these two guys, they're actually part of the inner circle. But these two guys, disciples, they grab Jesus, kind of pull him aside right after the speech about how he's going to give his life. And they make it about themselves. They're like, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, don't forget your boys, right? Don't forget us. Like, just, just hey, Jesus, like, don't, when you get up there, can we have good seats? Like, is this, can you, don't be acting like you don't know us when you finally get to heaven. Don't. And Jesus, like, they're going to rip my beard out. They're going to strip the skin off my back. They're going to torture me. I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm going to raise again. Which, incidentally, none of them believed him because none of them were there on resurrection morning, right? None of them were there three days later. That's that's just an aside. But he's like, they're going to to kill me. I'm going to raise to life. All this is going to happen. And they're like, can we have good seats in heaven? 
Like, can you make it where we sit next to you? Can we run my program? Can you do like my, can you sing my song? Can we make this about me? That's funnier to me than it is to you. Come on. So this eternal selfish perspective they try to bring into spiritual things. It can be incredibly toxic when this happens. So, of course, the other 10 guys figure out what it is that they're talking to Jesus about because they are humans, right? They understand, like, why do you need to go with the boss over there? Like, why? What is going? Why do you need to talk to Jesus? Why, why are you going with the boss in the side room? Like, what is that going to? So they find out what's going to happen. And so this honestly makes me feel great as a leader. Any of you who are like a boss or a manager of people, uh, we've got like 40 something employees here on the campus. Because how many of y'all know in leadership, like somebody will come and ask for something like an extra couple a day's vacation or like a, a meal or whatever it is out or something that happened and like a ripple goes through like the whole staff like so-and-so got this come on somebody and it's like this whole and Jesus trying to teach them and it's like ripple and Jesus does what leaders always have to do he kind of brings them together and he pulls them and he's like okay guys listen 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 this is the verse we're about to read I've given you the context Jesus trying to tell them what's about to happen disciples make it all about themselves And Jesus has to pick up the pieces. And he teaches us incredible leadership perspective, by the way. If you are a manager or a boss or any kind of leadership role, incredibly study the life of Jesus. The way that he manages, the way that he treats people. It's incredible. But he brings them all. He's like, okay, 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 get together, guys. Hey, hey, it's not about vacation. It's not about who got to sit at the best table. It's not about who gets this. Not about all that. He's like, verse 42, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So this is Jesus' response to what the disciples have been infighting about. This is what his response is. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority. We'll come back to that. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the son, he's like, I am God. And I didn't even come to be served. They talk about a smackdown. Like, I would just, I'd want to leave that corporate meeting and just go somewhere, right? We just hopefully work from home. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives us this incredible leadership principle. And then he teaches us how to embrace the spiritual paradigm of sending treasure to heaven. How can we be focused, focused on the eternal? First thing I want you to jot it down in your notes is that earthly influence, Jesus teaches us, controls through position. Earthly influence, Jesus teaches, controls. I love this perspective. He says, hey, you know what the Gentiles do? Those are the ones who are not following God, not living to his standards. When they get in leadership, they, you know how they live, is what he's telling them. They are all about the position. They're all about how many people do I control and what kind of title do I have, right? Are you assistant to the regional manager or the assistant regional? They're all about the position, all about the people that they control, all about who they can boss around, all about how it makes them look. Earthly influence controlling through position and power. Why? Because it's from that earth-focused mentality of how great can I make myself? How many things can I amass? How many things can I accomplish? And so in these positions, they become power holders, manipulating and controlling people for their own personal gain, making sure people know who it is that's really in charge. And it is incredibly toxic when it creeps into the church. When you have people who want positions just for the title and the control that comes along with it. Controlling people because it makes them look good. Unbelievably toxic. You think about the Pharisees. Where the whole idea was how can people notice me and what position can I be in. And what robes can I wear and what prayers can I say and how loudly can I say them. So that people will think how great I am 
position, through power, manipulating people. It is so toxic for the church of Christ. Listen to me, Jerry. We should never, ever find ourselves in that place. We brought earthly perspective into eternal things. And yet so many times Paul says we make ourselves enemies of the cross of Christ. Because our minds are set on earthly things. We try to bring that perspective. Jesus said, look, don't be that way. I'm going to go give my life. For the salvation of all. I'm going to go give my life on the cross so I can be resurrected. And your first thought is where can you sit in the kingdom? Can I have good seats? Is like, that's not, he's like, that's not the right response. You should be asking, how can I also go give my life? Jesus said, I'm going to go and sacrifice myself as an example to you. You should be. And to their credit, the disciples get it. It takes some of them like 50 years. By the end of their lives, they finally do get it. Because all of them give their lives for Christ. But in this moment, they're like, can I have the right seat? Can I get the right? Like, when you get to heaven, can I sit? Are we going to get good food or are we going to get leftovers? Like, are we going to? And they're asking these earthly questions. Because this, this earthly power, it manipulates people for a selfish mindset. But spiritual influence, jot it down if you're taking notes. Spiritual influence serves through compassion. It serves. Teaches, Jesus teaches us, if you want to be the best, you have to be the least. And it is so wildly opposite to what we think in our earthly minds that we will just cost. We'll write it on our, on our like scripture card. We'll put it on our fridge. We'll put it on a bumper sticker. But we never come to grips with it. If you want to be the best, you have to be the least. We're like, if I want to be the best, maybe I'll just be like second best. I'll let somebody get ahead of me. And then I'll be like fulfilling what Jesus said. And then it'll be all good. And then I'll get the best seat. He's like, if you want to be the best, be the least. And we don't like that one bit. Come on, somebody. I want you to see how the principles of heaven, if you get nothing else, how the principles of heaven are so diametrically, so different from the principles of earth. Because the principles of earth make sense to us. Like our cultural logic, we understand it. It's logical. It's intuitive. It makes sense because we've seen it in all the different other areas of life. In our, Like I said, academia, in our business, we've seen it work. And so the logic makes sense to us. But heaven is completely unintuitive. Jesus says, you want to be the greatest of all, you have to serve. You want to increase, you have to give. You want to actually live, you have to die. And honestly, it's so different. Everything about the kingdom is different and backwards to earth. And so it becomes incredibly uncomfortable for us because we just can't quite make sense of it. It just doesn't, it doesn't sit right. In fact, it's just free for somebody today. This can be an incredible indicator in my own life of whether or not I am actually seeking God's direction and wisdom for the decisions that I am making. If everything, every decision I make somehow magically lines up with my own earthly logic and my earthly bias and brain, it just makes perfect sense to take the easier road because it is easier. It makes perfect sense to cut corners if it benefits my bank account. Come on, somebody. It just makes perfect sense. It, yes, it must be the Lord because it lines up with what I already wanted to do. It just must be, it must be Jesus. He must be talking to me. Now listen to me. If I see no flaws in every decision, every relationship, every path that I take, then I am either perfect or I am blind. And I know myself well enough to know which one of those is true. If it lines up completely, I know myself. The kingdom, watch this, jot it down if you're taking notes. The kingdom is uncomfortable. For what we've allowed culture to shape our logic into. The kingdom is uncomfortable. For what we've allowed culture to shape our logic into. Spiritual influence is totally different. It's all about serving people through compassion. 
Jesus, even as Savior of the world, didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't come to be made great. He was already great. All right, everybody. He came to serve others so he can make a sacrifice to save those who were lost. And he's demonstrating this to the disciples and he's saying, now go and do likewise. He demonstrates this to us and he says, now go and do likewise. But we take Jesus' servant leadership and we're like, that's great for Jesus, but I'm going to be an earthly leader. I'm going to amass things. I'm, I'm telling you, earthly leadership is how many people can I impress with myself so I can make myself great. But godly leadership is how many people can I come alongside and lift up? How many people can I serve? How many people can I give my life to serve? Spiritual leadership, truly godly leadership without title, power, or position. Leadership rises to the top by serving others. By serving. It's through compassion. That's why Matthew chapter 9, watch this. Jesus, when he saw crowds, had compassion on them. When they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he says to his disciples in verse 37, he sees the crowd harassed and helpless, has compassion. And so he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. A lot of broken people out there. A lot of people who need salvation. A lot of people who have not found their way to God. A lot of people who need what we have already received from God. A lot of people that need that. He says there's, there's so many the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, he said, there are too many people with an earthly mindset. The workers are few. He's like, there's plenty of people to reach with the gospel. There's too many people who are trying to get theirs. Trying to get their own perspective. Trying to get their own riches and finance. Whatever it is, living with an earthly perspective. How can I get my ministry? How can I get my stuff taken care of? How can I get my needs met? How can I make it all about me? And Jesus like, would you just pray that God would change some hearts? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Then he would change some perspective because the workers are few. Ask them to send them into the harvest field. I love this perspective as we see Jesus encountering crowds and crowds of people. Jesus didn't see a crowd and see an opportunity for popularity. He saw a crowd and he saw a chance for him to serve people. He loved people. Jesus saw crowds and crowds and he saw individual people. But too many times we see the crowds and we see a chance for our own popularity. We see a chance to make ourselves look really good. This is our moment. This is our chance to be great. Jesus saw them and saw harassed how they were helpless. He watched their mannerisms. He watched the way that they interacted. He watched the ways that they were broken. He watched the ways that they needed salvation. And Jesus was a servant. And his heart broke for people in compassion, seeing what was going on in their lives. Listen, God has not called us to be great on this earth. Listen to me, everybody. I don't care what anybody else has ever told you, he has called us to be a servant. He has called us to love others in compassion. He said, look, you are citizens of heaven. Your mindset should be set on eternity. Your mindset should be set. If you really want to have treasures in heaven, learn how to serve others. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is teaching them. He says, if you keep your life for yourself, you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. I told you, it's completely by you. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. He says, you try to keep it in your hand. You try to hold on. Too many of us have this earthly paradigm. We're trying to bring into a spiritual environment. Trying to hold with every grip we have on things that won't last anyway. And so he's saying, when all along Jesus has taught us life to the fullest. Impacting eternity is when we begin to realize it's not all about us. It's not about us. It's about serving. That it's using everything that God has done in our lives for the benefit of somebody else. You say, well, what steps would I have to take? What would that look like? As we kind of finish out today, I want to give you three things. Three steps that I think you can take if you want to reshift your focus. 
And neither, none of these are easy. Listen to me, everybody. They're easy to say. They're not easy to do. I think the deep parts of Christianity are not hard to understand. They are hard to put into practice. You want deep? We're going to go deep today, right? It is easy to understand. It is incredibly difficult. Number one, jot it down. If you want to impact for eternity, first you've got to find your purpose. You want to say, I want to, I want to send treasure to heaven. I want to have an impact. You've got to find, because every single one of us has been put on this planet for a reason. We've been put on this earth for a purpose. I'm just going to give it away. I'll just kind of take it. We're all here for the same purpose. And that is you are called. The only reason you and I are still on this planet is to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. You want your purpose. I just kind of spoiled the whole morning this morning. All right. You want to know what your purpose is. The reason you and I are here is to tell people about the good news of Jesus. The reason we exist. Watch this in first Peter chapter. I love how Peter said you are a chosen people. I love that. That idea that we are chosen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And you think that's incredible. I've been made on purpose and for a purpose. I love it. What's the reason you were made? What's the reason God has chosen that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? The reason you and I are still sucking air, everybody, is because we're supposed to be telling people about what God has done in our life. And I love this verse so much. You know why I love this? Because it says, first of all, God's going to work on us. You understand the, the order of operations here. That before we declare God's goodness, watch, that we declare because God has called us out of darkness. Don't get it twisted and think we are the perfect chosen ones because we are just so awesome. No, God called us out of darkness so we can go back and call others. That we can spread the gospel of the, the truth that we have been washed clean and we can go share that with somebody else. That's why we are here. Because listen, if your salvation was the only goal, then God could just take you as soon as you've saved, right? God just take you on to heaven just as soon as you're saved. Some of you are like, amen. That would be just, everyone, I'll just go on right now. Paul talked about it. He's like, I would love to go on to heaven, but I stay because of you people. That's what he talked about. God could just, honestly, if you, as soon as you're just like, yes, I accept the Lord Jesus, one of our ushers come behind you and just end it all, right? Just like, right? <laughs> Now, granted, it would be harder to get people saved. I, I, I agree with that. Yes, like they'd be like, that church over there is just killing people. It's just like, um, it would definitely put a mark on our brand. That's what it would happen. But listen to me. If that was, but that's not the goal. The goal is we have been saved. In Romans, it talks about this, that we have been reconciled. And so now we have been gifted with the gift of reconciliation to others. That we are called as God's ambassadors. Bringing the good news that we have received. Shame on us, church, if we clutch it so tightly that we would never share it with others. We got ours and so forget about them. That cannot be our heart. That God has called us with the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what your purpose is? You've been gifted the ministry of reconciliation. That you have been saved. Now go find others to give the good news to. You've got to find your purpose. Go and tell everybody. That means as you have been made right with God. Now go tell other people how they can be made right with God. It's as simple as I told you. It's not hard to understand. It is hard to do. We have been reconciled and we have been gifted the gift of reconciliation to tell other people for the rest of our lives what God has done in our lives. You got to go tell it on the mountain. Come on, somebody. Over the hills and eh, come on. You just, I'll be stuck in your head all week. I'll just give that to you. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Those old songs aren't cool, but they will stay in your head a long time. Come on. They just... The message is simple. We've got to find our purpose. And the purpose we are on this planet is if our salvation to share with others. Our message we have to give. We've got to tell it to everybody. And then the second thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. You found your purpose. Now you've got to find your passion. 
You got to find, we talk about this a lot here at Victory. You got to find your passion. Because listen, all of us have a different role to play in how we shout it from the mountain. All of us have a different role and a different gifting and a different skill set to play in how we shout it from the mountain. We're going to tell everybody about the gospel, but there are different ones of us that are gifted to go into different areas and reach them that others of us could never go. You got to find your passion. You got to see how God made you. How God crafted you, how God gave you skills and abilities. God gave you influence. He gave you a sphere to work in. He gave you all of these things so we could make an impact for eternity. But you got to find your passion. First Corinthians chapter 12, it says it this way. All of you together, that's us, are Christ's body. Each one of you, though, a separate and necessary part of it. A couple of things in there. First of it, you are separate. Listen to me, everybody. You rise and fall before your maker. You work out your own salvation. One day you will stand before Jesus and you don't get into heaven because grandma prayed for you. Come on, somebody. Like, I love grandma. But just because she prayed for you doesn't mean you. we each rise and fall separate, but also necessary. That you have been gifted and talented, that we need you in the role that God has chosen for you. And listen, even back then, there's this problem. And it has crept into the church in every generation of the church. That somehow we get it in our head that maybe my role just isn't as important as somebody else's. And so nobody will really notice if I don't serve. And nobody will really notice if I just kind of sit on the sideline. And nobody will really notice if I'm not really doing what I don't, I don't give in that area. Or I don't, I don't reach out or I don't share. Nobody really noticed because I'm just not as important as so-and-so. And listen to me. He said, you are separate, but then you are also necessary. Listen, we need you in the body of Christ. You have been given a role that nobody else is going to fill for you. That you have been called to reach people that nobody else may be able to reach. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You have to find your passion because you are necessary. You are needed. We need you in the body of Christ. We need you to do what you are doing. And honestly, I think this comes about. I was trying to think about that this weekend. I think it's because we have let creep into our minds that we're just not one of the two or three things that the church seems to celebrate. And so it just must not be, we just not be called. Everybody wants to be the evangelist. Millions of people coming and getting saved in faraway countries. Everybody wants to be the Christian billionaire. Come on, somebody. Funding and, and building and doing all those things. Everybody wants to get on stage and be the singer. Come on, we just want to be the singer. Everybody wants to be those things. But listen to me. Everybody wants to be. But Bible in 1 Corinthians, it says this. 12, if the whole body were an eye. Get this in your soul right now. If the whole body were just one particular, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Paul's like making jokes, right? He just loves his person. He's like, imagine if the whole body were just one, you just all were eyes. What kind of, what? It wouldn't even be, like, he's trying to, he's trying to get this into our little tiny pea brains. He's like, if you all were the same thing, listen to me, if you we all were Ben, the church would be done by tomorrow. Come on, somebody. It'd be a terrible, if all of us were the same, can you imagine how ineffective the church would be? The reason I love you people is because we are all so different. And we all annoy each other at times, and we all love each other at times, and we all do life together at times. We are a church of so many different types of people, and it is what makes the church strong. It is what makes us effective for the kingdom. He says, if our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Somebody today needs to hear that God has gifted you. He has made you on purpose and for a purpose. And he has a calling on your life. That God has a calling for you. He's put us where he wants it. And watch this. How strange a body would be if it had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. 
Can you imagine what our Sundays would look like if all of us were only good at one thing? Like, first of all, it would be chaos. Come on, it would just be, be. Second of all, can you imagine like entire ministries would just disappear completely? Like entire groups of people that we would be trying to reach would never get reached if we were all just good at one. Forget about like even streaming online. We wouldn't understand how to even turn the lights on. Come on, somebody. Like we'd have, and nobody be teaching the children. My God, the children. Come on. Like we would have, God has made us necessary. He has a gifting on your life. And I don't care what anybody else has told you growing up, when anybody has told you where you work, what anybody told you in the class, God has a gifting on your life to do something for the kingdom of God. God has a purpose and a passion for us. And the impact of the church. Get this in your head. The greatest people, I believe, one day when we stand in heaven, the greatest rewards are going to be given to people whose name you and I don't even know. That God has gifted us and called us. The impact of the church is not in a few celebrated heroes. It's in the faithfulness of those who are often nameless. That is what the church is. But they had problems back then. Even this is why Paul has to write this. They had problems being like, well, so-and-so is more important. And well, so-and-so must have. And the truth is God has given you a passion for something. God has given you a passion to do something. He has gifted you in an area and the church needs you. Every one of us significant and necessary for this thing to work. So we got to find our purpose. You got to find your passion. And we are passionate at victory about helping you find that. That is one of my most passionate goals in my life. Is one to get everybody to understand that God has called you. That God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And to help you find it. Nothing gives me greater joy than seeing somebody live out the passion in their life. Live out what God has called them to do. We find our purpose. We find our passion. Number three, you got to find your people. You got to find your unique people because Jesus didn't see a crowd. He saw a person. And I'm telling you, the church is not effective until we see groups of people and we see the people. We don't see the crowd. We don't see an opportunity for our own popularity. Because listen to me, it's not about the thousands of people. It's about the classmate who lashes out at other people because they have been hurt. And we're called to reach them. It's about the single mom who's trying to make ends meet and still raise those babies and stay sane. It's about the family member who gets the call from the doctor that says it's terminal. And now they don't know what to do in the next few weeks that they have left. And they don't know how to care. It's about the people that we're called to reach. It's about the child who's addicted and on the run. And the family's heart and our hearts break with them in that situation. We have to see the people, not the crowds. That we look at thousands and thousands of people we interact with every single day. And we see people with compassion. Not crowds that we can somehow leverage for our own popularity. we got to have compassion in our servanthood. The reality is somebody's eternity is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Somebody's eternity is hanging in the balance. Somebody that you interact with, you have been called to that moment, to that place, to reach that person. And if we don't see them, their eternity hangs in the balance of whether or not we obey what God has called us to do. we got to serve with compassion. We've got to find our people. Who is God calling us to? Because we are each separate but necessary parts of the body. First Timothy chapter 6. We'll close with this. We know Paul and Timothy pretty well by now. All right. We, we've kind of gone. This is the first letter that he writes to him. And he writes to Timothy this letter. A new pastor with a lot of really blessed people in his church. And he writes to him and he says, Timothy, command them. This strong language that Paul is using. He's like, Timothy, just present this and see if they like it. Timothy, throw it out and see if it lands. And if it doesn't, just go on to the next thing. Timothy, just don't, just make sure they like you, but don't tell. He says, Timothy, command them, these people who are blessed in this present age. 
These people who God has blessed with influence or with finance or whatever it is, command them. And so listen to me, church, I am commanding you. And when I say that, don't say I'm the, I preach to myself before I preach to any of you people. I am commanding us, commanding us, us who are blessed in this current age, commanding us, watch this, to do good, to be rich, not on this earth. Now try to think, how much can I amass so I can make myself? No, 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 be good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And watch what happens when you do it. In this way, you'll lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Not treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. You want to know how we do this? It says, command them to be rich in good deeds, laying up treasures in heaven, firm foundation for the coming age, so you may take hold of life that is truly life. I don't know if you've ever been sold a bill of goods about, well, this product really works like this, or this thing is really like this. I don't know how long you've been alive on this earth, but somebody has told you this is what life really is. This is what life, come and see this, come and buy this, come and do that. This is what life, but Paul is saying, you want to lay up treasures in heaven that you may actually take hold of life that is actually life. As you leverage your life on this earth to serve others, you will take hold of life. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about making earth our home. It's not about seeing how much can we amass. It's not about earthly things. It's embracing this eternal perspective that Jesus says is backwards to what culture would try to get us to embrace. You want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let's give our lives away. You want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven in eternity? You want to lay up treasures for yourself? We have to give our lives away. Let's serve others, counting others as greater than ourselves. Let's reach our generation for Christ. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I just ask you, Lord, help us understand first of all that you have made us on purpose and for a purpose. God, that every person in this room, every person listening online would understand that you have made us with a calling on our lives to make an impact for the kingdom. That they have been called. They have been chosen. They have been created on purpose, God, that you have something for us to do to build your kingdom. Not that we would be great, but we would make you great, that we would lay our lives at your feet. And Lord, help us to find our passion. That you've gifted us already. You've given us strengths and abilities. You, God, you've given us spheres of influence. Lord, you've blessed us, so blessed us in this current age, God. That we wouldn't grip it with both hands holding on, God. But we would open freely and give to others. That we would show them the love that God has shown us. That we would be willing to do for somebody else what somebody did for us. Lord, I pray, put your hand on us to find our passion. Let us reach them. And then, God, show us the people you have called us to reach. Show us the people that you have called us to influence. I pray, God, Lord, that there are people that each one of us have been called to, that maybe no one else is able to reach, but we can. That you have placed us at the right time, at the right moment. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us the right words to speak. As we think about that person right now, Lord, as they're on our minds, they've been on our hearts. Lord, we want to reach them with the gospel. Show us how to do it, Lord. Give us the opportunity. Give us the words to say. Give us wisdom in how we approach. But God, let us reach because the harvest is plentiful. Let us never be on the sideline. Praying these things. Churches, you keep praying. One more invitation I want to give you. And that is, if you're here today and you're hearing all of this, maybe for the first time you're hearing how God has made you. 
If for the first time maybe you're hearing that God has a purpose for your life and you're saying, well, I love that idea and I want to follow him, but I've never felt myself farther from God than I feel right now. Maybe you ran. I don't know what happened. Maybe you've never come to a realization of who God is. Maybe you've never actually understood that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Maybe you're as far from him as you think you could ever get. Right now, I want you to understand God is not far from you. That he loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter the decisions that you made. It doesn't matter how far and how hard you ran. That God still waits and loves and accepts and wants you to come back. That he's not waiting to get even with you. That God's not waiting with a big stick to think, I just need to punish. That's that's not who God is. That God loves you and that he still offers salvation in this moment. Doesn't matter how far you think you are. God offers his salvation freely. And listen to me, I don't know what anybody else has told you. God wants you. He wants you. And so right now, I want to give you an opportunity. It's as simple as I can make it, an opportunity to come home. An opportunity to surrender your life. You say, I don't know where I would spend eternity. We talk about eternal things, but I don't know even if I would spend it in heaven or hell. Right now, you get to make that choice. Right now, you can decide, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I accept his sacrifice. Yes, I repent of my sins. You can decide right now to change the course of your eternity. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Listen to me. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front right now. I'm not in this to embarrass you. There are moments to go public with your faith. Right now, you have to make a decision between you and your Savior, Jesus. But if you say that's me, if right now you say, I want to pray that, yes, right now I want to make sure my eternity is secure in heaven. It would be our honor to pray that prayer of salvation with you. Our church has dedicated our lives to pray this with every person who wants to pray it. We will pray this with every person who says yes, because listen to me, we once were in darkness and God called us into light. And now it is our calling to pray this with every single person who also wants to come out of darkness. And so right now, I'm going to give you the words to say, but you say, that's me. I want you to pray it with us. And church, we pray this with them. Nobody prays alone. We say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for the people here at Victory. God, I thank you for this church, how different we are from one another, but how essential we are to the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us refocus. God, that you would help us take our eyes off of earthly things and focus on eternity. I pray, God, you would help us this week not to live for the things of this earth. Not to live for the things of this culture or this world. Not to get ourselves so deeply entrenched and attached that we are of no eternal value. God, I pray, send us people to reach and let us remember our passion. Let us not see crowds. Let us see people, God. Let us reach them for the kingdom. And we thank you. We thank you, God, with all honesty in our lives. We genuinely thank you that you still use us. We thank you that despite ourselves, in spite of our failings and our weaknesses, you still choose us. And you still send people for us to reach. Let us never miss the opportunity. 
I pray right now, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us encouragement as we share the love of Jesus with every person that we meet. We pray it all. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today? Listen to me before you go. To-